Welcome to the Australian Weight Loss Surgery Podcast, where every two weeks we explore all the aspects of the weight loss surgery journey. We'll hear from a range of experts, including bariatric surgeons, psychologists, patients, and dietitians, sharing up-to-date, informative advice to help fast-track your long-term weight loss success. Welcome back to the Australian Weight Loss Surgery Podcast. I'm Jackie Lewis, Clinical Nutritionist for BN Multi. Today, my guest is Soraya Nikwan from the Bariatric Collective in Brisbane. Soraya is an accredited practicing dietitian working out of the Green Slopes Private Hospital there. For the past seven years, Soraya's focus has been on helping weight loss surgery patients to reach their long-term goals using evidence-based practices and nutrition and dietetic care. Soraya is gradually shifting the focus of her practice from general bariatric care to looking after those experiencing regain after weight loss surgery. Today's episode, we'll discuss the major contributors to regain, when to be concerned, and what is to be expected after weight loss surgery as far as regain goes. Soraya and I discuss some practical tips and key points to focus on either to prevent regain in the first place or to combat it when it does rear its ugly head. So welcome, Soraya Nikon. How are you? I'm good. Thank you, Jackie. How are you? I'm well, thank you. It's nice to have you here. Yes, today, thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. And today we're going to cover regain after weight loss surgery. I think you're really focusing on that mm. area in your practice at the moment, which is good to see because I hear in our, our group, there's a bunch of people who are not even, you know, very far down the surgery journey and talking about regain and how worried they are about mm. it. What are you seeing in practice? I see a variety of things. So I see even people, you know, six months post-op starting to get some regain and it really comes down to those habits. I see a lot of people have it, you know, it's starting, you can see the habits sort of falling the wheels off around six to 12 months, which I try to pick up in practice, but often I don't, but I do get a lot of people come back around two to three years post-op. And that's when we start to really work on that regain where they've regained, you know, up to 10 to 15 kilos, sometimes more mm. depending on the person. And I'd say around about 30% of people do regain weight. That's what the current research shows, but it could be higher. It could be lower. It really depends on the person. Yeah. Habits and yeah. metabolic, I suppose, standing as well. When we talk about regain down the track in the weight loss surgery journey, once we kind of go through that rapid weight loss period, we call it the honeymoon. Once that's kind of come to an end, you might hit your ideal weight or get to that, you know, mysterious number that we talk yes. about. What we can expect some regain, and that is a natural part of the process. What's the understanding there? Well, what the current understanding is it's around about 10 to 15% of your lost weight or your excess weight. So if you were 150 kilos and 170 centimeters tall, you'd have around about 50 to 60 kilos of excess weight weight. That's just rough calculations. Mm. And so you'd expect to gain about five, maximum 10 kilos after you've lost your said weight. And that's five, 10 to 15% of your excess weight loss. So I think there is a common misconception that it may, you know, you're never going to gain weight again after weight loss surgery, mm. you will regain some weight and it's part of the normal set point progression. So your body's used to being that weight at let's say 150 kilos. It's always going to be wanting to stay at that 
heavier weight and it'll always defend that body weight. But with the weight loss surgery, it's the only real tool that we have to reset the set point. And so as the weight starts tracking down and you might get down to 100 kilos or 90 kilos, sometimes the body has a little bit of a metabolic change. It, this is when the hunger starts to arise and you may find that your metabolism may slow a little bit or it's easier to put weight on. That's a sign that your body might have gone too low in the thermostat of your weight management and it will increase the weight a little bit but that's when we see that 10% weight regain it shouldn't really exceed more than that 10 to 15% because then we're tracking back into actual overeating poor dietary habits like a physical activity poor mindset all of those other aspects that do affect weight regain so yes 10% is usually accepted yeah right and it must I see it in our group there's a lot of fear around it I mean when you have reached that goal weight and things start to track back up again it's like Mm. I I understand it you know and and that's where we discourage you know getting on the scales too regularly and Mm. watching that number because if you're a person who's also got to that said goal weight start exercising weight lifting doing those Mm -hmm. sorts of things and actually start gaining muscle I think that can also be confusing as far as the number on the scales and actually the composition in the body which is also important you were talking a little bit about muscle wastage in um, weight loss surgery patients Mm. as well and kind of what that leads to down the track can you tell me a little bit about that yeah so well there was one study recently released that showed that from the time you start that pre-op diet to a year post-op, bariatric patients lose 25% of their muscle mass, which is just insane to think about because it's like a quarter of your body. So that's my ultimate goal is when someone comes to see me in that initial phase, I try to make sure I work out their protein needs and then post-op, pre and post-op, make sure that they're trying to hit that number. And I know that number can be quite high for someone who's 150 kilos. It might be even up to hundred grams of protein per day, but every day that you're not eating enough protein, your body's going to start breaking down your muscle. And it might might not be a significant issue initially, but over the long term, that's going to eat away at your muscle. And then it's going to increase the likelihood that you'll regain weight because your metabolic rate or your metabolic fire, basically what your body needs to use calorie wise to just stay alive is depleted because you have no muscle. So muscle wastage I find is quite common and also compounded by the fact so not enough protein and people don't exercise or my patients tend not to exercise seems to be very difficult to get people to exercise especially resistance training we know that resistance training maintains and prevents muscle wastage so trying to do that two to three times a week is what my goal is for all of my patients Mm. to get them to do it that's the hard part like the people that have the resistance training I can think of a few examples and you might know them as well like they're consistent with the exercise they're consistent with their eating enough eating habits, especially protein, they are keeping the weight off long-term. And that's usually some of the key pillars to success, I guess you could call them, to preventing muscle wastage. Absolute key to metabolic health is, and I always talk about weight training or even resistance training and building that foundation of good muscle density is like putting a V8 engine in a car really. So that even as they're idling at the lights, they're burning more fuel just while you're sitting at your desk at work, your metabolic needs are higher, which Mm -hmm. means A, you can eat a little bit more if you want to to fuel that but also you're feeding your body and if you are going through that period where you're trying to build you need more calories and more protein to actually lay that muscle back down again it's a really good point because we do see it in the not so much just the skin the excess skin which Mm. can be a byproduct of just how um, stretched that skin was but you can kind of see the body shape 
afterwards mm. if there is significant muscle wastage it's definitely you can see like bones with skin yes. hanging off it yep. so it is something that will also help with that kind of loose skin problem um, not right. necessarily fix it totally but also filling it out with muscle is probably one of the better ways to go yeah um, I see some people who come initially to their first consultation one of the questions I like to ask is do you know anyone that's had the surgery I find that that helps you know set some you know realistic expectations for them as mm. well um, and then the people who have seen someone who looks quite emaciated and they're like, I don't want to be like her because she doesn't look healthy or people comment that they look like they're really sick. I'm like, that's not going to happen as long as you exercise, eat enough protein and hit all, take your vitamins every day. That's really important to get that nice, I don't know what you want to call it, healthy, fit, yeah. toned. In the fitness industry, they call it toned, um, which is yeah. just, you know, like, less fat, It's almost vitality. Like yeah, they, yeah. they actually look like they've got spark and life in the body rather than just, you know, it can get to the point where patients who aren't supplementing properly and taking enough of the protein mm. can almost look deflated and very, you know, even in their skin colour, yep. I can see in their mm. face there's that it looks like iron deficiency to me. Yeah, um, dull, just dull, kind they of look dull, dull. And, yeah, 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 just yep. kind of grey sometimes. Grey, well. yes, yeah. <laughs> that's the right word. <laughs> <laughs> Looking for the politically correct terminology, but yeah. it is, I can see it when I just, when they present, It's mm. um, I can see how healthy that weight loss has been. And yes, there's weight loss, but there's also healthy weight loss. And I think that's something we need mm. to remember. But yes, we do weight loss surgery because we're looking for weight loss, but we're also looking for health. And that's probably the key is also not getting too hung up on the number on the scales. We do need to watch it, but kind of measuring our health parameters as well, getting your bloods checked regularly and that sort mm -hmm. of thing. When regain starts to happen, what's the general feeling that you get from your patient when they're coming back and telling you that weight is going up on the scale? I think they're mainly embarrassed and ashamed about, you know, the weight going up. And yeah. I think, you know, the sooner someone comes out for help, the braver that they are, because, you know, oftentimes, you know, they might feel what, what I've heard is that they feel like they failed the surgery or it's just another thing they failed at. And so it amplifies all that all or nothing thinking, mm. um, which is quite prevalent in this population. Um, and then it just sends them down the road of possibly continually choosing the bad choices and putting their head in the sand and not reaching out for the support that they need. Because, you know, a lot of people don't talk about it. Uh, I think that also is part of the problem because you see a lot of information about the pre-op and the post-op phases, even on Facebook groups, no one really talks about what happens after. Mm. And I've been in this area since, oh, it's been seven years now. And so now I can see some of those initial people that I saw when, you know, 2015, 2016, they're putting the weight back on and they might be putting all of the weight back on. And the surgeons that they go back and see, they may not be very helpful towards them because the surgeons impacting their own opinion of that person has mm -hmm. failed, which doesn't set that person up for success because then they then reiterate those thoughts and comments to themselves. So making sure that, you know, if you do regain some weight, reach out for support early, yeah. get the help that you need. Don't leave it too late. It's easier to lose five kilos than 15 kilos. And especially to think about the speed of weight loss after you've regained the weight, the body's smart. It adapts to the surgery. And I don't think a lot of people realize that. So as you were saying, Jackie, that honeymoon phase, once that tablet sort of ends, some of those hormonal effects of the surgery end at that year point as well and making sure that you are eating optimally at that point will keep the weight off and keep you losing if that's what your body wants to do mm. but if you don't do anything about it 
it is easier for the body to put the weight back on and the weight loss will be slower as well. So just setting up realistic expectations that if you go back and you start dieting again, you're not going to lose the half a kilo a week with the regained weight. It will be a lot lower. And I usually aim for one kilo a month, which sounds like nothing for Mm. some people, but it is important to just set up realistic expectations because the body, the body's adapted to that surgery and it's adapted to, well, it's just adapted really. The surgery, the body's very, very small. Very yeah, smart. Gut, gut health. <laughs> you can go Too on smart for our yeah. own good, I think, sometimes. Yeah. But you're right. It's also that, you know, without weight loss surgery and just for a general weight loss patient, you would mm. expect that 250 grams a week is still, you need to be in a relatively good calorie deficit yeah. for that to happen yeah. and do that consistently. So it kind of takes them back into that, you know, prior to surgery expectation of what they might lose each week. And yes, we do call it the honeymoon period, but that's also the time where those habits are really important to be setting Mm. up. And I think that gets missed sometimes if patients aren't getting that regular interaction with a dietitian or, um, you know, nutritionists in that, particularly in the first year to reiterate portion size and what types of food to choose and when to eat and that sort of stuff. And that's really what um, needs to be taken into those future Mm. years. And I think it's also an understanding from the patient that this is only for a year that I need to do this because we yeah, hear that yeah, a lot is yeah. well they just said I need to take these tablets for a year and it's like no you need to take them forever mm. and you need to do the portions for that's your portion now mm. set up your bariatric portion plate and get an understanding of you know your 50% protein and your healthy carbs and that sort of thing and do that because we do hear that later on it's like oh I can eat more now and I always mm. say yes you can it's whether you should so it's yeah. making sure that you stick with portion sizes um, the other thing is that when hunger returns some people are feeding the hunger with the carbs first Mm. so they flip over that you know protein first rule I reckon very soon after that happens that's when hunger really ramps up what happens with protein why is it so good for our satiety and Mm. you know and weight management overall it is it is definitely so protein usually still so you still want to aim for a gram per kilo of whatever your body weight is when Mm. you are you know in that maintenance and you're in that you know that weight that you want to maintain at what is important that you like you said jackie you don't increase the carbohydrates because carbohydrates don't have that protein to keep you full and they'll slide through the pouch really quickly whether you've had a sleeve or a bypass and then you might be noticing that you're hungry all the time uh, and then that might make you feel like you you have failed the surgery, mm. but it's really just the composition of the foods that you're eating. So making sure that you're not eating slippery, slidey foods that cause the hunger. And that's truly because the sliding foods just go straight through and they don't make you feel full. Making sure that you're not eating excessive carbs, like eating the healthier, the smart carbohydrates rather than the refined white carbohydrates that um, just are really easily digested. Mm. And making sure you don't forget to aim for protein at each meal. I think it's like you said, you know, that first year, most people are really hyper-focused, but really the way to manage um, your nutrition after weight loss surgery is to treat the condition, um, treat obesity like it is a disease because it is. And your body will always defend that higher weight set point. So it's sort of like you're at a battle with your body every day to prevent you from getting back to where you were. And so making sure you plan appropriately. I think the most underrated um, nutrition tip that anyone's ever given apart from protein and exercise is planning. If you don't plan, 
you're not going to be, you know, where you want to be because it's so easy for the wheels to fall off with life these days. It's so busy. Yeah, and I think if mm. you leave the house without protein, it's very hard to get. So mm. if, you, if you're looking for, you know, 50% of every meal and snack to be protein-based um, and you don't take it with you, I find that that's when things do fall apart is because all the best intentions. Yep. You Even yesterday, for an example, we were out by the water and wanted something to eat and there was just no real, there's burgers, there's fries, there's, yeah. you know, you can't just quickly pick something up that's healthy firstly or protein rich unless you just take the burger part out of the bun and get rid of the rest of it so it is being prepared I take nuts with me just different snacks and that sort of stuff so that um, it's just that constant protein going in yeah Um, I think that's the key talking about obesity and it being a disease I really wanted to highlight that as well Mm. because some people do the surgery they you know they've given their goal weight and it's not necessarily spoken about that this is a chronic disease and it may need further management and that might be that some people do the surgery Mm -hmm. they get to that they may not hit goal but they might get Mm. close to it and then they hit trouble again metabolically and that's when like different interventions medical interventions come in again like obesity drugs and that sort of stuff Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that's highlighted enough for patients as well because yes they start to regain and they start to feel like they're failing and then they'll just think well I don't want to talk to anyone about it because it's not going well but that's when we can come in with you know looking at these other you know obesity drug management programs before you get to the point where you're looking down the barrel of another surgery Um, I think that I think that's also where people go is, well, I've blown out again. I've put on 20 kilograms. Mm. I'll just go back and have the bypass now. And it's not as simple as that. No, because at the end of the day, you may have a bypass. And I see this, you know, I've seen it so often. People go from the lap band to sleeve to bypass. At the end of the day, they're not treating the underlying lifestyle choices that they're making. So they Mm. put on weight after the bypass. So more surgery is not going to equal more success really in terms of what you want to do with managing your weight and health. Mm. It's really about those real fundamentals and it's just the boring stuff that people don't want to do like eating well planning your meals doing the exercise the stuff that's hard and I think it's that hard work that ultimately leads to where you want to be and you know I've had good success with some of those obesity medications and some people like to use them because it gives them that non-hungry feeling like they did when they first had the surgery Mm. and it's a sort of somewhat easier intervention before going down the surgery route again but if we don't address those healthy eating habits, the exercise, the movements, the mindset, all of that, more surgery is not going to help you lose more weight it's just it might make it worse yeah and the second surgery it's no guarantee of great weight loss is it it's not second surgeries are proven to have much fewer um results as far as weight loss goes so it's not that you know um next step savior so i spoke with um professor michael talbot about this in the past and he was saying the same thing it's like step up early Mm. because that five kilos is easier to hop to lose than 20 kilos down the track what other things do you put in place for people who come to you as far as regain goes what's your kind of you know first step first approach so first thing i get is a food diary and then one calculate how much protein that person's individual body needs if they are 
exercising and, you know, I feel like their weight is not a good indicator of how much muscle mass they have. I try to get them to do a DEXA scan. So if there's a, um, there's a good place over at Newstead that do them, Physique Science, a dietitian run clinic. And I, not that it's a shout out for them, but yeah, I found that they're really good. Yeah. Cause some people don't know where to get them from. They go to Mm. Queensland X-ray and it it may not give them the results that they need. So there is a few places around Brisbane. I'll put Um, that in the show notes because that is a good place to go is looking at body composition properly. Yeah. So they measure your fat mass, your muscle mass, your lean tissue mass, and that's a more accurate picture of how much muscle mass you have. Mm. And then we can then use that equation that they've given us or that amount of muscle that you have. It's quite accurate to then extrapolate and work out your specific individual requirements. I also then encourage people to track your food. I just think that's so underrated is if you don't know what you're eating and if you can't tell me in a food, in a dietitian appointment, you know, what you ate yesterday and we're going to have problems. We need you to get it. Get, need you to write it down because you you really don't remember what you're eating because you do it every day. Yes. Um, so making sure that yeah. snacking amnesia. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's funny though. People don't remember what they ate yesterday for lunch. Like it's you know a thousand years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it makes my job difficult if you know you don't remember what you're eating. So write yeah. it down. So making sure that you're hitting your protein, and then we look at the types of carbohydrates and the composition of your meals. So making sure that you're eating enough protein at each meal. So aiming for that twenty grams of protein for each meal. 10 grams for snacks of protein per meal if you need snacks and then making sure you're adding color so adding some vegetables and some fiber so that's going to help you feel fuller for longer and if you are choosing to have carbohydrates at that meal choose a better type of carbohydrates like ravitas rather than cruskets or mm. brown or brown rice or you know multi-grain rice or quinoa like you know those mixture rices yeah. compared to white rice um, and then brown or legume pasta compared to white pasta so those small simple changes will increase the satiety as well as the protein to keep you fuller so you're less likely to graze we know that grazing is the number one risk factor for putting weight back on and eating too sooner than three hours between meals will put the weight back on because you're just letting the food go down quickly and you're never going to feel satisfied yeah, so that's a good point. That's what I really look for is those behaviors. So I try to check the behaviors, check the composition of the meals, and then check how much protein they're having, making sure they're reaching that consistently. I think, yeah, it's it's so huge, isn't it? And it's we talk about it so much, protein. There's also studies on sarcopenia in weight loss surgery patients now as well because yeah, the guidelines and recommendations were probably not covering what the needs were. So I think you're right. It's like a gram of protein per kilogram of ideal weight every day. So if you weigh 90 kilos, you're looking at 90 grams of protein, Mm -hmm. which, yeah, when you've got a bypass or a sleeve, it's a significant undertaking as well. Do you have any suggestions of how people can, you know, pattern out their protein intake that makes it a bit easier on them? Yeah, so I'd strongly recommend one planning your meals. So if you can create a list of foods that you like to eat and how much protein there is, you can look up the protein values online Mm -hmm. or, you know, you can seek out support from a dietitian because I always give my patients a ready reckoner, which basically has common foods, serving sizes and protein. So that's helpful. So planning out your favorite meals and then the protein value to that. If you need to aim for 90 kilos, count backwards from 90. That's so much easier than counting up to 90. I don't know whether it's a mindset trick or what have you, but if you go 90, take away, let's say, a scoop of that tasteless protein in your coffee, that's less 15. So you've only got 75 left to aim for for the rest of the day. So it's just Mm. a little bit easier to plan out your day. For people that 
work trying to make sure that you aim for a decent portion in your lunchbox. So you might want to make a bento lunchbox. I gifted some of the um, bento lunchboxes to my patients last year, which was cute. (laughs) But, you know, aiming for 30 grams of protein in that lunchbox. So if you eat all of your lunch, you've had 30 grams of protein and then filling it out with, you know, a breakfast that contains 20 grams and a dinner that contains 20 grams. Yeah. So they're sort of simple ways. Some people like to add the protein powder to everything. Some people like to make up a smoothie of a morning that gives them that good 25 grams of protein using a protein powder. So it's just starting the day off well as well. You know, if Mm. you want to reach your protein target, don't leave it to the end of the day, start it at the start of the day. Yeah, it's slow to digest. So if you are leaving it too late, you just can't fit it in and that's where things go pear-shaped. The other thing is each sitting of like a serving of protein, our bodies can only absorb Mm. about 25 to 30 grams at a time. And I like to highlight that because I've had some patients who are, you know, they're having a protein smoothie and then Mm. putting protein in on top of it. So it's a 60-gram serving. It can be quite hard to digest, firstly, and secondly, some of it is just not absorbed in the end and excess is and it's interesting also a lot of patients are under the impression that pro excess protein won't result in weight gain yeah. i'd love that magical combination Me of too. Yeah. free calories and protein rich food it take it is harder the process of converting pro excess yes. protein yeah. to fat is much slower but it can happen so oh, yeah, it's um, something to remind people of as well that it's um we're aiming for an ideal amount not an excess amount as well yeah, I think it's just, it is, it all comes back to that planning, I think, doesn't it? It does, it does. And understanding what's in your foods. I saw someone earlier and um, they were having a lot of beef jerky. And I, you know, something I don't normally recommend because it's quite high in salt and it's quite processed. Mm. But when I looked at the nutritional value of it, it was 20 grams of protein for 30 grams of jerky. And this person was having up to 100 grams a day. Oh, so you can, so that's like having... Five, ser- five serves of steak, really. Yeah, yeah. And I just thought it was astounding how much protein they were getting just from the beef jerky and they thought they were doing great. And I'm like, no, this is the problem. Yeah. You know, it's turning to fat, but it's a very bad way, not a bad way. It's a very energy efficient, inefficient way for the body to turn it as fat, but it will do it because the body doesn't need it. Yeah, it's interesting. And also looking at what's coming with that. So it's like the jerky is a great idea because it's high in protein, but having a look at how much salt, how much mm. fat, how much of other things are in those foods and that can be quite a shock for some people as well are there key foods you encourage as far as you know getting complete protein that is you know also quite clean and good for your health yeah apart from so the real basics just cooking up lean unprocessed meats trying to get um, good sources of meat so you know mince um, eggs chicken tofu is a complete protein Mm -hmm. if you are a following a vegan um, plant-based diet. So still making sure that you're including tofu Um, and then just trying to make sure that a lot of it's unprocessed and not, you know, covered in crumbs or not chicken tenders or not foods that have been processed or in the freezer aisle. Like, yes, there are some good frozen portions of meat, like the frozen fish that's, you know, just fish, but just being mindful of how much processing has been put into that food, just so that you're aware that that will decrease the protein overall and decrease the amount of nutrient quality as well. So just being conscious of that, but like non-negotiables for me in my practice would be just the lean proteins, trying to cook food from scratch, trying to make sure that you're getting it from whole foods rather than powders. Like as you get beyond post-op, you really don't need to have powders. It's only really, you know, if you're sick or if you're struggling, start the day off with a protein shake, but it is relatively a processed food. So trying to make sure that you're getting it through real food and dairy as well. You know, dairy is a good source of protein, complete protein. So making sure, you know, you're having yogurt as well with the 
good bacteria, milk, cheese, but watching the portions of those because that's, you know, it's so complicated. But once you put all the, um, once you understand the serving sizes and how to put it all together, it's really easy. But it's just that um, education, which is really a challenge for a lot of people. Yeah, that's a good point. And we have a few books on our site. Do you Mm. have any books that you recommend to help people with understanding portions and servings and, you know, how to put these foods all together? Mm. Yeah, so my favourite one is the Sally Johnston book, of course. Yeah. I love Sally's book um, because it's basically like a nutrition Bible that you can refer back to again and again with some really good recipes. So it's not just for initially. Uh, And I do like Trudy Williams. Uh, Yeah, that's a great book, The Gastric Sleeve Guide. Yeah. Yeah. So she's got a few serving sizes in it as well. You know, how much serves are the fruit and dairy serving sizes, which is. Yeah. I think she's taken that actual size, which. I yeah, really like yeah, so it gives yeah. you a really good understanding of it Trudy and yeah those two books the um, complete guide to weight loss surgery mm. nutrition after weight loss surgery and the gastric sleeve guide are, are really I think would be the key to start the weight loss surgery journey there's a bunch of recipe books and that sort of stuff as well but mm. I think people contact us looking for bariatric recipes and I mean, any recipe can be bariatric it's just the serving size and the yeah. protein quality as well That's right yeah so just looking for you know foods that are or meals that that are incorporating, you know, enough protein and vegetables, basically. So curries and that sort of stuff are mm-hmm. really good. The other thing I wanted to just touch on is that tasteless protein powder, what your understanding of it is in and what place it has overall in the, the weight loss surgery diet. Yeah. So I'd like to look at it as a supplement. It's not a complete protein. It's missing tryptophan to my understanding. So it's not definitely something that you need to be on for the rest of your life. You can take it for the rest of your life, but ideally getting your nutrients from real food, because there's always those benefits from real food that we don't see we might you know there might be other things like in an apple it's it is just an apple but there are other things that you know scientists don't know about apples that you know help with satiety and fullness so trying to always pick your foods from real foods tasteless protein i find is really good for the first year if and it does really really help you meet that protein need where you otherwise would be struggling because you can't get it in and that's when i rely on it heavily yeah. But I strongly encourage everyone to titrate it down and increase it through real food as your portions get towards that cup mark and you're able to get it all through real food. That's where I sort of start recommending we decrease the protein because like we were saying before, any excess of protein will get turned to fat yeah. and it isn't a complete protein. So it doesn't have all the amino acids that we need in it. So relying on it as your only source of protein is a mistake um, and will cause problems later yeah. down the track. Yeah, that's what I use it as a, I had a busy day protein. So it's mm. like if you get to, you know, after dinner and you realize that you're 15 or 20 grams short, that's mm. when you, that, because then there's room for it because it's that easy to mix into any yes. kind of drink or food. But yeah, it's almost after that first year, it's more mm. like that emergency backup rather yeah. than the, and I do see it being a bit of a mainstay. It's why I wanted to touch on it. Yeah. And the different forms of protein supplements have all different benefits as well. That's right. yeah. And when we talk about muscle retention being the absolute key idea of what we're trying to achieve, the collagen power is not the game changer no. in that regard that's more looking at you know connective tissue and um, like tendons and mm. um, you know hair skin nails and that's lovely but when you're looking at we really want to rev up that engine of having more muscle on the body mm. that's where the you know the whey protein whey isolate protein. powder is like the absolute gold standard for that immunity satiety mm. and mm. muscle retention and, and even helps with fat loss so when people are asking me kind of what they should be doing in that post-op 
up stage if they do need to supplement i'll steer them towards the whey protein isolates first mm. and yes if they're having trouble fitting things in that's when the, the tasteless collagen is a good one so it's all about balance again isn't it it is it's not putting all your eggs in one basket because the yeah. benefit of the tasteless is that it's tasteless but whey protein it would be better to have it in that first year because of the leucine content of it yes. but it's um not as nice to mix into just water or oh, no. to your soup or anything yeah oh no yeah. it's a really it's a smoothie that yeah. one isn't it yeah. dress it up with berries and a little bit of honey and something like that we've got yeah. some recipes with where you can bake with it and mm. it's good in like biscuits or like muffins and that sort of stuff but yeah i have had a few people who've contacted us and gone oh i just mix that you know the whey protein isolate into my water and it's just not as nice and i'm like oh no definitely not, not to nice do pair it with some more dairy um so yeah thank you i think and so can people reach out to you if they're experiencing regain and um i know you're trying to looking at specializing in that area Mm. because it's something that you're seeing a lot of um and with your kind of long history in bariatric care (laughs) um you've seen it and dealt with it and done well with it obviously Yeah, Um, yeah can people reach out to you if they're feeling that um that's something that's coming up for them yeah, definitely. So I've created a um, Instagram um, page that you're welcome to follow me at, at Bariatric Collective. So that's my handle. And I'm coming out with a online weight regain course. So it's coming soon. So it's all ready to go, but we're just um, working out the final kinks of it. So follow me over there for more updates. And oh, fantastic. Yeah. So I look forward to meeting you all then. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I will pop all of those information and your contact details in the show notes. Mm-hmm. I need to remind where the show notes are because often I talk about show notes in my podcast and I don't let them know where. So if you go to the awlspodcast.com, all of the podcast episodes are housed there and any um, resources, links and contact details of any of the guests that we have on the show are all accessible there. Mm-hmm. Well, Soraya, it's been wonderful. Thank you for your time. I know you're busy and I'm sure we'll meet again very shortly talking about, I'd love to hear more about your program. So once that's yeah. all ready to go, yeah. we might just yeah. do another episode, let everybody know what that's about and, you know, have a look and share with our group and that sort of thing as well yeah that'd be great Huge yeah area. yeah, yeah thank you. yeah you're welcome All thanks right. so much for your have time. a great day see ya. see ya thanks for listening and just before you go we would love to hear your feedback so please give us a rating and review for other interesting topics of conversation and inspiration come and drop into our facebook community at bn bariatric if you've enjoyed our podcast we hope you will share on your facebook or instagram and hit subscribe so you'll never miss an episode